you should open your Bible to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. We're in a series called I Have Decided. And um, if you haven't been around, it's, it's a series that's all about the spiritual disciplines, which if you're, if you're unfamiliar with that terminology, that maybe would sound a little weird. Um, maybe it would sound a little strange. Discipline, spiritual discipline. Really what the spiritual disciplines are is things that people like you and I would do in order to position ourselves before God that he could have his way in and through us. It's something that we might do in order to grow in a relationship with him or something that we might do in response to our relationship with him. So the spiritual disciplines are things like prayer and fasting and worship and study and service, all of the things that we would do to, to kind of bring our, our life and our soul and place it before God that he would, he would be able to do in and through us what he wants to do. And so we've, we've preached through a number of these already, and, and I've said this almost every week. I'm going to keep saying it because I hope that it gets into your heart that our primary goal through this is not just to give you intellectual and academic teaching, but to give you something very practical that you, could, that you could take with you and go and practice. That's the point of spiritual disciplines is that we would practice them, that as we engage in them, that your faith would grow, your relationship with God would grow. So we hope and we pray that you, you've tried to pray and you maybe have tried out fasting and, and last week we preached about study and so this week, the subject is meditation, and that's a, a little different for us, meditation, but I think that, I think that this is going to be an extremely refreshing night for you. We're going to do something that my guess is most, if not all of you, have never done in church before this weekend, and it should be really fun. So would you just jump in with me tonight? You would? Let's do it. I think the Holy Spirit has something special for you if you would, if you would engage with him. So we're going to read uh, the first eight verses of Psalm 63 together. If you have your Bible, then maybe just uh, follow along with me. This is what it says. Sort of the subtitle is a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh faints for you, in the dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be steadfast as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. That's so good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your spirit, for your presence here right now. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that as we study and, uh, and hear your word come alive and even meditate on it tonight, that you would do in and through us what it is that you desire to do in and through us. We give you freedom, your rightful place of authority in our heart and our mind. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
So there are three significant moments where this man David found himself in the wilderness or the desert place. There are three significant times that David found himself in the wilderness place throughout his life. The first time was, was when he was a young boy. Now David was, was a shepherd by trade and he was the youngest of his brothers and so they sent him away into the what was called the wilderness or the desert place uh, to, to tend to the sheep. And this was a very special time for the man David because as he was out there in the lonely place with just the company of his sheep and his God, he learned a number of things. He learned what it was to worship God freely without the distraction of other people around him. He learned what it was to, to write psalms and songs unto his king. He learned what it was to be a protector. He learned how to fight off the lion and the bear with his sling when he was out there in the wilderness all alone. He learned what it was to have an intimate relationship with God. It was a very special time for the man David as a young boy to be out in the wilderness alone just worshiping his God. And it was from that place, that wilderness place as a young man, that he was, he was called by the prophet that came to his father's house after the prophet came to anoint a new king of Israel, saying, no, it's not this son, it's not this son, it's not this son. Do you have any others? Oh, call out the boy from the pasture. Call out David and bring him to me. And the, and the, the prophet Samuel anointed David to be king of all of Israel. It was from this place of being in the wilderness with his sheep and his God that he was called and anointed to be king. The second time that he found himself in the wilderness was what followed from that anointing, that promise from on high, that promise that God would take him from the pasture and put him in the palace, that promise that God said, I'm gonna take you from being just a shepherd boy to shepherd all of my people. It was in that season, the next upwards of 15 years, that he found himself in the wilderness once again. This time, it wasn't a good time. It was, he was running for his life from the current king, Saul. And if you've read the Bible before, you know how the story goes. The boy David had to run from, for his life for many, many years because Saul was jealous of him and he wanted to take his life. Time and time again, Saul tried to murder David and so he had to flee to the wilderness. There were seasons for him that he even had to go into foreign lands. He had to pretend like he was insane. He had to just spit all over his beard and act like he was crazy so the Philistines wouldn't kill him. And he ran for his life time and time again. God, God had brought Saul in his, in his path, but he wouldn't take his life because he didn't want to remove the Lord's anointed. He wanted to let God fight his battles for him. And so it was in those years that I just wonder, what was David thinking? What was David feeling? This wilderness time when he was running for his life from the king, when he himself was the very man that God said, I'm anointing you to be king. Have you ever wondered why was it that God anointed him when he was like 13 or 15 years old, but not putting him in the position of king until he was 30? You know, we receive promises from God sometimes, and, and if they don't happen like in two weeks, then we think that, what happened, God? Sometimes it takes years. I don't know what David was feeling exactly, but for me, that second wilderness season would have been very difficult because I probably would have been reflecting on God's promise and not seeing it come to fruition and struggling with God. Where are you and why is this happening? Eventually, it did happen. He became king. 
Now, this is a whole other sermon, but I think it's beautiful that God anointed him to be king, and that was done by God's mouth. And then some years later, the people anointed him to be king because he operated in integrity the whole time that God called him to. And so the people recognized in him the calling that God gave him long ago. But that's a whole other message. So he becomes king, and he becomes the greatest king of, of Israel that Israel's ever had. And he has this amazing tenure as king, and he, he fell in a number of ways. If you know the story, you know that he fell in sexual immorality and, and all kinds of things. But he was always a man after God's own heart. From the very beginning, he was a man after God's own heart. And even to the end, he never, he never let the sin of his life take him away from God. He always brought it back to him right away, confessed his sins, and worshiped. And so here David is uh, operating as the great king of Israel. And then there comes a season near the very end of his life when one of his sons named Absalom goes and recruits a bunch of guys and he starts a coup. Absalom, David's son, rides into, into Jerusalem with this army of men coming to steal the throne from his father and presumably kill David. And so it's under that context that David runs one last time back into the wilderness, fleeing for his life. Whether he was scared, whether he didn't want to face his son head on, where maybe he didn't want to take his life in battle. I don't know what it was, but there was this third time in his life, not when David was a boy, not in the middle, but as, as the great and mighty king that he was, when he, he fleed his palace and he fleed his position of ruling and he went into the desert place once again. And it's within that context that he writes this psalm. And so I want to read it again for you, because sometimes we read through these things and we don't really know, oh, he's in the wilderness. Okay, cool, you know. Imagine this. You've gone through this crazy life. You became the king of Israel, the king that God anointed. You sat on the throne and ruled with strength and power for all these years. And now you find yourself running into the desert because your own child was coming to take your life. And this is the worship song that you sing and the prayer that you pray. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land when there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. He's reflecting on the times that he beheld God's glory in the palace in Jerusalem. I've seen you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you even now when I'm running for my life. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be steadfast as with fat and rich, rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. What would he have been feeling in those dark nights in the wilderness running for his life? You ever found yourself in a place of extreme toil and stress? What do you meditate on? J.O. says this sometimes when he's talking about meditation. He says, most of us know how to meditate, 
because we stress out about things. It's kind of the same thing. You know, when you're stressed in life and, and you know that you have to face that conversation or you're even just late to work and you're just like, oh, I just want to get there. And, or whatever the situation is and we're just stressed and we just think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it. Think about it. That's meditation. Here David is running for his life, praising God in the midst of this struggle and saying, even in the darkest part of the night, I will meditate on you, God, instead of my problems. So we're talking about meditation tonight. Meditation. I want to read a few quotes from the author of the book that this series was sort of formed around. Uh, Celebration of Discipline is the name of the book by Richard Foster. If you haven't um, got it yet, it's a great book. Even beyond this sermon series, I would highly encourage. It's one of the most formative books of my life. Um, but he says this, just so I can help frame this theme of meditation uh, in terms of your understanding just a little bit. He says this, quote, the discipline of meditation was certainly familiar to the authors of scripture. The Bible uses two different Hebrew words to convey the idea of meditation, and together they are used some 58 times to convey various meanings from listening to God's word, reflecting on God's works, rehearsing God's deeds, ruminating on God's law, and more. You know, we, we talked about study last week, and uh, we should study the scripture, but um, study only occurs, the commandment or the imperative to study only occurs a fraction of the number of times that the imperative to meditate does in the entire scripture. 58 something times compared to a fraction of that meditation versus study. He says this, Meditation, very simply, is to hear God's voice and obey his word. The difference between study and meditation is the study of the scripture centers on exegesis and the meditation of scriptures centers on the internalization and personalization of the passage. So if study is what we do when we, when we look at something, exegesis means to draw out the truth from it, to study it for what it really says, to understand it for its original meaning. That's what study is if you're doing it in the right context. Sometimes we, we put our own meaning into a text and we really shouldn't do that. That's called eisegesis, but we should really pull out of the text what God originally intended instead of putting our own imp uh, opinion on it. Amen. So that's what study is, is pulling truths out and studying something academically so that we'll know them, so that when we, when we understand that truth, that truth will set us free into God's way. So we talked about last weekend. This weekend, meditation is not so much about academically understanding what something says so we can think it through and, and dial it into our life. Meditation is letting something speak not only to our mind but to our heart, to minister to us. You know, when you're stressing out about something in life, uh, you're not so much uh, thinking about the truth of the situation and, and what's really going on and just academically thinking, I got to figure this thing out. And once I do, I'll overcome that issue. No, no, no. Think about it. Me and my wife talk about this sometime. You know, anxiety is, is a, such a poignant analogy because anxiety, we know, doesn't make sense in most situations. You know, 
You know that you shouldn't be feeling the way that you're feeling. You know that 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 little tiny situation in your life shouldn't be consuming you and like ruining you and and causing you to to have the gurglies in your stomach. You know intellectually that, that the facts of the situation don't merit the response that you're giving it, but it's not about academic or intellectual knowledge of what's going on. There's something deeper that's going on. It's it's something that's more profound and, and and so in many ways, stress and anxiety is like meditation because it, it sort of does something to us that, that transcends just knowledge about a situation. Does that make sense? And so in the spiritual life, we need to do more than just study. We need to do more than just academically understand God's truth because if you're anything like me, there are many truths that you, you academically know that you don't let get into your spirit and your bones. And just like how you might stress over a situation, you need to choose, we need to choose to let God's word just be the thing that that we rehearse, we rehearse, we rehearse. Let his word just be the thing that washes over us. I don't know about you, but I need to be brainwashed. I do. Sometimes I think, you know, especially in a church like ours, is kind of a little, like, weird sometimes. You know, people walk in here and they're like, oh, these people are, like, weird brainwashing everybody. That's right. I need to be brainwashed. Because we live in a crazy time where there's so much coming at us and trying to sway us, persuade us to all these opinions that I need God's word to wash me. Now, since it's uh, sure to come up in a discussion on meditation, I just want to briefly talk about the difference between what would be considered Eastern meditation and biblical meditation. Because when I said that we're gonna talk about meditation, you might have thought about that. And the truth is that it, well, it didn't really start this way, but there's a profound movement of meditation in a couple Eastern religions, in particular Buddhism and Hinduism. And it's important for us to clarify that what I'm talking about and what the scripture is talking about is not that. Now the scriptures do come from the East, by the way, you know, Jesus was born in the Middle East, so in many ways, this is an Eastern religion. But when it comes to our modern-day religious culture that we live in, and Eastern meditation, as it were, referring to Eastern religions such as Jainism and Buddhism and Hinduism, what biblical meditation is, is quite different from that. And, And he puts it like this, the author in the book. He says, Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty the mind, which is very true. Buddhism, if you didn't know, is really an atheistic philosophy. That's what it is. Buddha, Buddhists don't believe in deity at all. They just, uh, there's a number of things they believe. It's very complex. But when they meditate and when they follow the Eightfold Path, what, they're, what they believe is that they need to get to a place of nirvana, detachment from this world. And they, they try and pursue that through enlightenment. And so in many ways, their meditation is to empty their mind and really their whole existence of what's going on in this physical world. And Hinduism is a whole other thing uh, beyond that. But, but Hinduism is a big part, or meditation is a big part of the Hindu religion. The author of this book says this, and it's, it's very important to, to pick up on this distinction. Eastern meditation is the attempt to empty the mind, but Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind. Eastern forms stress the need to be detached from the world. For us, detachment is not enough. 
we must go on ahead to attachment. So meditation is, in many ways, letting all the the things of the world uh, focusing in a way that, that pushes out the things of the world, but to the degree that our mind and our heart is open to then be filled with the word and the spirit of God. That's what meditation is, biblically speaking. That his truth, his word, his thoughts, his heart for us will be the thing that fills us and washes us and trains us and leads us. So I don't know what situation you find yourself in or the situations that you find yourself in in life when you find yourself thinking about what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen, and, and you tell yourself uh, maybe, maybe lies, maybe things that that person said about you when you were a kid and you rehearsed that in your mind or what your boss says about you or, or the fight that you got in with your spouse and, and you just meditate on these things. The invitation this week is that we would, we would give ourselves over to the discipline of letting God's word get inside of our spirit, that we would turn to God's word and let his word wash over us. Scripture says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is praiseworthy, think about those things. Set your mind to those things, the things of God. So right now, I'm gonna do something. Um, We're gonna practice. And I would would imagine that you probably have never done this in church before. Um, I I never had in in a corporate weekend gathering like this, but we just figure Heart of the City Church is not normal, so. So we're gonna give you an opportunity to meditate, biblically. It's called Lectio Divina, and uh, there's many different ways that you could do this, but it means divine reading, and people like you and I have been doing this for a long, long time. And so what I'm gonna do is this. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes in a moment and just listen to, as best you can by God's grace, tune out all of the stresses and all the things that you might be thinking about that are gonna go on outside of the walls of this church and just fix your heart and your mind on the Spirit of God for 10 minutes. I'm gonna read through a passage of the Bible and I'm gonna read through it a number of times and each time I read through it, I'm gonna sort of prompt you to think about something, to meditate on something in particular about the passage. And then when I get done reading, I just want you to know right now, I'm gonna give you a moment of of just silence. We talked about this, J.O. and I, and I said, why don't you, you know, why don't we give him like a minute of silence? And uh, he did it last night and he said, bro. 30 seconds of silence feels like an eternity. I said, I know, isn't it crazy how we live? Just sitting in silence is so hard for us. So this is gonna be really refreshing for you. So I'm gonna pray. And I invite you to pray with me and then just to jump in for 10 minutes and see what the Spirit of God would do. 
Lord, we thank you for your presence. And right now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to set aside all the thoughts, the noise, the stress of our world. And that you would teach us to meditate on your word. That we would hear your word for what it is and through your spirit, that we would apply it to our life. God, would you have your way in us? Again, I just wanna invite you to close your eyes for this because it helps. I'm gonna read this passage this first time and I just want you to take it in for what it is. Just listen. Acts 16. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All of the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke and saw the prison doors open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword, ready to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized he brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. This time as I read it, I want you to put yourself there in the scene. That you would listen through your five senses. What would it have felt like? What would it have smelled like? What would it have looked like? What would it have sounded like? What would it have tasted like to be there in the scene? A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered that they would be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer threw them into the inner parts of the dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. 
Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison shook even to its foundations, and the doors were immediately opened, and every chain fell off of every prisoner. The jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword, ready to kill himself. But Paul shouted, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And the jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought them to his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they had believed in God. This time as I read it, I want you to put yourself there, but that you would focus on what you would have felt like emotionally and spiritually if you were in this situation. In fact, I'm gonna take some liberty with the text to help you along that path. Meditate on this. The mob quickly formed against you, and the city officials ordered that you be stripped and beaten with rods. You were severely beaten, and then you were thrown into the prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that you didn't escape. And so the jailer put you in the inner dungeon and clamped your feet in the stocks. Around midnight, you were praying and singing hymns to God, and all of the other prisoners were listening to you. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken even to its foundation, and the doors were immediately opened, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer awoke and saw the prison doors wide open, and he assumed that prisoners had escaped, and so he drew his sword ready to kill himself, but you shouted at him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And the jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell trembling before you. Then he brought you out and he asked, what must I do to be saved? And you replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And you shared the word of the Lord with them and all who were in their household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for you and washed your wounds. 
And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought you into his house and set a meal before you. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. I'm going to read this one last time. And as I read it, I want to invite you to consider what the Spirit of God might be asking you to do in light of this passage. That you would meditate on something that he sticks out to you. Maybe it's one word. Maybe it's a sentence or, or a thought. Maybe it's just one theme of the text, but that you would listen with ears saying, Spirit of God, stick something to me. How is it that you would have me respond? If this text has anything that you would like me to do, to change, what is it that you want me to do? And just let him speak. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken even to its foundations. All the doors were immediately flung open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors open and he assumed that everybody had escaped so he drew his sword ready to kill himself. But Paul shouted at him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. So the jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell trembling before Saul, Paul, and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who were in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. <laughs> 